Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. And when we first begun. Well, we're going to go ahead and get back in the book of John. It's right at time to start. So we'll go ahead and look at the book of John. And we're going to be in chapter 3 today. And uh, we're going to be in verses 30 to 36. And remember the book of John is about the fact that, that uh, Jesus is God in human flesh. And he says, and many other signs Jesus did. But these were written about that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believe that we might have what? Life in his name, right? And so John writes about seven miracles, about seven witnesses, seven I am statements. And remember every time Jesus does that miracle, he's, not, he's showing that he's God, right? And so the first 13 really chapters or 12 chapters are the signs of the Messiah or the or the the miracles of the Messiah, that he does all these miracles. And in chapters 13 to 17, and we call that the secrets of the Savior, because he goes in that upper room with those disciples and he tells them and he tells us the things we need to know to live the Christian life about the Holy Spirit coming and he'd be with us and, and all kinds of things that are going to happen, but yet Jesus is going to be with us through the Holy Spirit. In chapters 18 through 21, we see the sovereignty of the Savior because what happens? Jesus ultimately, as I said a minute ago, he's in control of everything. And he says, no man takes my life from me, right? But I lay it down for the sheep. And because he's God, he's, he does everything he needs to do. And as soon as he finishes paying for our sins on the cross in that three hours when it was dark, the last thing he said, he says, it's, I thirst. And he drinks that sour wine on the hyssop and he says, then he says, it is finished. And he gives up his spirit, he dies. No man takes his life, but he gives it up. So we've seen the witness of John. We've seen a couple of miracles. We've seen that, uh, that Jesus, he turns water into wine. And then we see Nicodemus comes by night and he goes away an unsaved man. And, and then we see kind of that, uh, Jesus kind of sets up a little confrontation here that John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, not John that wrote this, the apostle John, but John the Baptist, remember his head was cut off because he told, uh, he, was a, he, he was a prophet and he told Herod he couldn't have his brother's wife and they put him in prison and his daughter danced, uh, his wife's daughter danced and he said, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom and she danced and she said I want the head of John the Baptist because that's what her mama put her up to do it and so they took his head off but see what's going on here we got John John the disciple the one that's the one in the wilderness with the camel hair coat and eats the locust and honey that he's there and he's the greatest of all 
men according to the Bible up to that time. But he says the greatest, the least in the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament is greater than John. That's chapter 11 of, of uh, Matthew. And so we read the last time that these people were baptizing, that John was baptizing, and the disciples of Jesus were baptizing. And John's disciples got a little bit upset about these, these methods of purification. Remember, the Jews were always concerned about this cleanliness. And I guess that's where that saying probably came from. Cleanliness is next to godliness. But you won't find that in the Bible anywhere. They were always concerned about washing and baptizing themselves, trying to make themselves right, all these man-made things to get right with God. They say, John's baptizing and, I, and come to John and they say, John, Jesus' disciples are baptizing and everybody's leaving him, right, and going to him. And he says, what is that to me? And he tells us first of all here that, that God is what? He's sovereign because what does he do? He, he's over control of everything. And he says a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. So we talked a little bit about that last time. That, that if there's something you can do, something you're good at, or whatever it is that you are, you know what? God gave you those abilities, those gifts, and all of those things. He made us who we are and what we are. And then he comes on in verse 28 and he goes on and he says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So the next thing he tells us is that Jesus is overall, he's preeminent. He has first place. You know, that's what the Bible says, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? And so he's above everybody above everything and then he comes in in verse 29 and he says that Jesus is to be glorified and he says he who has the bride is the bridegroom but the friends of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled so what does he say next that Jesus is the bridegroom right remember in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 it talks about that the bride, that the church is the what? The bride of Christ, right? And it talks about, that's why all this stuff they're doing about marriage and everything nowadays is such a mess because marriage is really a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. That, that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride of Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 5, what does he say? Let me get over there a minute. But he says right here in chapter 5, and he talks about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, right? He says, husbands, love your wives just like Christ did, and he gave himself for her. That he might, what, sanctify her, set her apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands are to love their own wives as, as he, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, right? And then he goes on in verse 30. He says, uh, 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does to church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Did you know you're part of Christ if you're a believer? And he says, For this reason... 
A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, right? He said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So in other words, when we, the husband and the wife, they do what? When they are married, they become one flesh, right? They become one. And you know what? That's what happens when we trust Christ. We become one with him. He's in us and we're in him. And that's the Holy Spirit that lives in us and through us, right? And so marriage is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ and all it means to God. And so he's to be glorified. And he says here that the bride, bridegroom, he's the one who marries the bride, right? But the friend of the bridegroom, we call him what today? The best man, right? He's supposed to take care of the, the bride and he's supposed to do all these things. But in the old days, he made sure everything happened with that wedding. And then the most important thing he was supposed to do was protect that bride until the bridegroom came and took her by the hand to be married. And that was his job. And that's what, G, that's what John's saying. I'm leading y'all to the, to the bridegroom because Jesus is coming. And my job is to lead you to him because he's the one that deserves the glory. He deserves the praise because he's the one that you're ultimately supposed to trust in and follow in him, right? And so he says his joy is fulfilled because why? Jesus is here. Jesus has come. And then he says he must increase, but I must decrease. Remember, our job is not what to be glorified but to do what glorify him right that's what we're here for and anybody these pastors some of these pastors nowadays they get up there and act like they're god themselves right but you know what they're not supposed to do that it's supposed to be all about god we're not to get into all this pastor worship and all these things these personalities we're to worship him and him alone you shall love the Lord our God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as himself, right? But so God deserves all the honor and the glory and the praise. And so we're going to see some reasons here why Jesus is, deserves all this praise. He's better than John, and he's better than everybody else. So what does he say here in verse 31? John defends who Jesus is, and he says... He's the one who deserves to be glorified. He says, he, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. So the first thing he tells us is that Jesus comes from above, right? And remember in John 3.16 when we were talking about that or earlier in the passage and what did Jesus tell Nicodemus twice? He said, you must be born again. Or born from above is literally what that means. You've got to be born of God, right? And that's what he's saying here. He's from above. That He's from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven, right? He came and he was born into a virgin. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That he was born of a virgin. Is that The Holy Spirit put Jesus in the womb of Mary. And, and we don't worship Mary, but we worship Jesus. Mary was a great godly woman, but she's not the redeemer. She's not a co-matrix. She's not anything else, co-redeemer, anything else. She's just a woman. But you know what? She was a great godly woman, but we worship Christ. Even Paul and all these great men of God in the New Testament, they said, don't worship me. I'm just a man. 
but worship God. And so he comes from above as above all. And he who is of the earth and is earthly and speaks of the things of the earth. So those that come from above do what? Jesus comes from above, so he deserves what? All the honor and the praise and the glory, right? And so he's of divine origin. And so the second thing he says here is he has a divine testimony. He who comes from above us is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who, he who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and what he has heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. So what does he say next? That the people on the earth, they don't really know anything but what's here, right? But what does, what does Jesus know? He knows everything because he came from heaven. He came down from heaven. He's above all. And, and nobody's been up to heaven and being able to come back down and tell us what was up there, right? I mean, some people claim that, but that's just not true. Some people have died, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? Some of the people came out of the grave and Lazarus came out of the grave. But, but these people haven't been anywhere where they could really see. And I don't know where Lazarus exactly was at, but he must have been in some in-between spot. But he never made it to heaven because Jesus did what? Brought him back to life, right? He was not resurrected. He was raised from the dead. He was brought back from the dead. But Jesus is the first one to be resurrected and to go back to heaven, right? And so he says he has a divine testimony. He comes from heaven, and because he comes from heaven, what can he do? He can speak of the things from heaven, right? And all we know is the things of earth because we had not been there. We can't talk about it. But he says no one receives his testimony. What's he doing? He's talking about that people just as they do today, what are they doing? I watched a video today. These people looked like they were in India. And they went into this church, and this man came out of this church. And these guys, I, I guess, I don't know, like I said, I think they were Indian or something. But they had these big old thick sticks. I couldn't tell how big they were, but they looked like they were at least that big around. And they were beating this guy all on the back and everything else. And they were beating these church members in this country. They had to be hospitalized because that's what's going on because people are beginning more and more and more to hate Christ and to hate believers and it's coming here, it's steady coming because these people, I, I put stuff out there on social media sites and you know what they put out there? Kind posts make a difference. Are you sure you want to publish this? So I had to create a group on one site that was a special group. You have to ask for membership to get into it so you can see what I post there. But if, but because I posted on the other site, the regular site, they kicked me out of there. They wouldn't let me post. And the other things that I posted on another site, I could post about a year or two ago out there. But you know what they did? They just hid my stuff and took it off of there. They didn't, they won't let it show. And so being a Christian and Christian, putting Christian verses out there and Christian devotionals out there is hateful according to these people. They don't receive his testimony. And Jesus said, if they hated me, how much more would they hate you, right? Third, he says here, he says in verse 33, he who has received his testimony is certified that God is true. And you know what? He's got the, the, the father, remember several times the father said what? This is my divine son in whom I'm one. Well pleased, right?
he who has received the testimony of the Father has certified that God is true. Jesus is the one who's God and he said that God is true and the one that receives that believes that he's a true believer. And so he says here, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. In other words, Jesus has the what? The full measure of the Holy Spirit. Do you know if you're a believer, you have all of the Holy Spirit you'll ever have. Romans 8 9 says, If you have not the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Him. But you know what? If you sin or you do something wrong, what happens? You're not filled with the Holy Spirit anymore. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues and jumping up and down and acting crazy. But being filled with the Spirit is what Colossians says, what Ephesians 5 says. That, that be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart, giving thanks and being submissive to one another. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law, right? Those are the fruit of the Spirit, not crazy stuff. Here he says that Jesus has complete fullness of the Spirit. In other words, he always did everything the Father wanted him to do. He always said everything the Father wanted him to say. Because why? He completely and totally understood everything the Father wanted him to do at all times because he was God in human flesh and, and he had the fullness of the Spirit. And so one day when we get to heaven, we'll be like that too, right? But now we still live in this unredeemed flesh and sometimes this flesh wants to do what it wants to do, doesn't it? And his mouth wants to say things it shouldn't say. And his brain wants to think things it shouldn't think. And you know what? Jesus never had that problem because he was God in human flesh and he had to measure, the full measure of the Spirit. He had the total filling of the Spirit. He never did do anything, say anything, or be anywhere he wasn't supposed to be because the Father led him and guided him through the Holy Spirit the whole time. And then, the, then one of the other things here he says is he also has divine authority. Because it says in verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Remember I said a minute ago, that uh, a few minutes ago about Philippians chapter 2, it says that because Jesus thought it not robbery, but He became a man, and He came in the form of a man, and He was a man, and He, he, he did what? He became a servant. And that literally, that word means to become a slave. And he, he died on the cross. He, he died, even the death of the cross, that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. So God has given everything into his hands. He has divine authority. In other words, everything belongs to Jesus, ultimately. Amen. But it also belongs to the Father, right? But then the last thing he says here is he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Think about that. If you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, unfortunately you're headed to hell. 
You know, some people think, well, I don't have to do anything. I'm a good person or I'm a pretty good person. I'm going to get to heaven. But the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is the free gift of God is eternal life. Have you noticed what he said there, the free gift? It's like saying a free free or a gift gift, right? The Bible says that salvation is free. And it's available to anybody who wants it. But not everybody wants it. But you know what? You have to ask for it. You have to say, oh God, I'm a sinner. Give it to me. Somewhere in your heart, you have to bow the heart. And, and somewhere in your heart, you have to bow that heart. And just realize you're a sinner. And ask God to forgive you and save you. That cry of your heart, even if it was like mine when I got saved. And I was sitting in the church and the pastor said, You're sinners and if you don't have Christ, you're a sinner and you're headed to hell and you can't fix your life and, and you're just headed to hell. And I'm sitting in the pew and I'm going, Oh God, that's me. And you know what? God heard that cry in my heart when I said, God, that's me. That's what I need. And you know what he did that day? He forgave me. He saved me. He began to change me from the inside out. And that's what God does. That's why all these people trying to do all these programs, they can't change, right? Because programs don't change people. Jesus changes people. I could go out there and if you had some weeds out there and I could go cut the top off of one of those dandelions if you had some growing out there, what's going to happen? A couple of days later, there's going to be another one pop up and there's going to be two of them because when you cut something off, it sprouts into two, right? You know, when you cut your bushes and you trim your hedges and, and, and what do they do? They come up fuller and thicker. That's because that's the way God designed them because there's hormones in there that stop it from doing that. But as soon as you trim it, those hormones are gone and it sprouts up thicker and fuller, right? And you know what? It's the same thing with that dandelion. But if I go out there and I dig that dandelion up all the way to the bottom of the root, and sometimes I pull them and they've been that long. You dig that thing up all the way to the root, it won't come back, right? And that's what Jesus does. He digs the root of sin out of us because he puts the Holy Spirit in us. He forgives us. He saves us. He changes us. He makes us a child of the King. And when you belong to Him, yes, we still live in a body that wants to sin at times and does sin at times. But you know what the good news is that Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay for some of our sins or most of them, but how many did He pay? All of them, right? And that's why when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, yes, we still sin at times. Yes, we still do wrong or think bad things or whatever. But you know what? We're not to excuse those things, but we're to remember that Jesus paid for every single sin we've ever committed, ever have committed, ever will commit. And when we put our trust in Him, everything is forgiven. Everything is under the blood because the blood of Jesus Christ takes away the sin of the world, right? What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the one that died in our place. He's the one that died for our sins. So if you've never trusted Him, ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to change you from the inside out. 
And you know what the Bible says? Whoever calls on his name shall be saved. Not might be, not hope so, not if you do this or don't do that, but whoever believes. Whoever believes. That means with your whole heart, you believe the truth that God is, Jesus is God and He paid for your sins. With your whole heart, you say, God, I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. And by faith, you take him at his word because he said, whoever calls on my name shall be saved. And if you'll do that today, just trust in him. What did we sing a while ago? Trust and obey. You trust Christ as, as your Savior. You trust that he did what he did was enough. And then you obey him because the Bible says God commands men everywhere to be saved. Do you know that? That the Bible says that people should be, or it, that we are commanded to be saved. Yeah. He says God commands men everywhere, men and women. That's men and women, boys and girls. That's mankind's what He's saying. And you know what? When we trust in Him, He makes us His child. He forgives us. He saves us. And we're forgiven forever. One day, when we pass out of this world, we'll be in heaven with Jesus. It'd be like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? So do you want to get hit by the shadow of the truck or by the truck? You want to get hit by the shadow, right? And that's what death is for a believer. It's just a shadow. Because we'd pass away, wake up in the arms of Jesus, be on the other side with Jesus. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We ask that if there's one here that's never truly trusted you, Today they would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. And for the rest of us that know you and have trusted you and, know, and have asked for forgiveness and received it, that we would just be thankful for who you are and what you've done in our lives and give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 8, 32.